HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in sport in this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Austin Power, has been in the sake industry for the last 15 years as a sake sommelier and a kikizakeshi. And Austin currently works at Tokyo Record Bar in Greenwich Village and Nish Nish and the Special Club, both in Soho, all very popular spots in New York. And he also has a 10-year experience at the sake sommelier at Sake Bar Satsuko in East Village. And he's also a talented artist and a graduate of Parsons School School of Design. So today we'll discover how Austin got into sake, how he convinces um, people to try sake even if they, they don't know anything about sake, and his fun sake dining uh, pairing dinner uh, parties and much much more. But uh, we before we start, Japan is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, um, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokotema.com. Now let's start our conversation with Austin Power. Hello, Austin. Hi. So this is exciting. Um, so I know how much you know about sake. So... <laughs> Uh, so, first of all, where are you from, and uh, what did you eat when you grew up? Uh, so, originally, I'm from Clinton, South Carolina, which is uh, kind of a very small, um, uninteresting town uh, in the north of South Carolina. And then uh, for high school, I moved down to Charleston, which is a little bit more low country, kind of soulful-style food. Um, but mostly just a lot of really wonderful, fatty, beautiful uh, Southern cuisine, like mm. Coca-Cola, green beans, and <laughs> uh, fatback, and mac and cheese, and 
uh, roast and all of that beautiful stuff that's mm. probably bad for you but tastes so good. Yeah, so maybe you can stop here with sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you are a sake specialist, um, but also an artist. So what kind of art uh, have you been uh, working on? So predominantly my practice has been um, concerned with portraiture. I love painting people. It's been kind of always been my passion, starting from drawing kind of caricatures and cartoons and things when I was little and then moving on to some more serious oil painting and then landing um, really through like the fault of getting mono and not being able to stand up and make these giant oil paintings I started making watercolors mm -hmm. of uh, all the people in my life I was too ill to spend time with mm. um, so that became the work that really um, got quite successful for me mm. and helped me to investigate my personal relationships and really um, find, like, articulate my love for mm, people. Right. And I went to your website. I, I love watercolor, even mm. prefer to uh, oil. And I found this statement. Um, so this is fascinating. Um, I am interested in showing the difficulty and discomfort in fully understanding a person. I leave my subjects incomplete to highlight their limitations as well as my own in in inability to see the subject beyond the influence of myself. <laughs> so what do you mean by this? So um, that's kind of the artist statement I landed on to try to explain um, what I was making. And I lived in France for a year to study abroad for school. And um, I learned French in my very country southern high school And they said, oh, your French is perfect. Um, it was not. <laughs> and so that was my first experience, really being disassociated from um, my language skill and then also uh, realizing how much I relied on humor to connect with mm. other people. And I kept thinking, what do these people think of me? How do they uh, perceive me? What memory am I leaving when this big portion mm. of my personal value is missing? Um, and of course you can't ever know that, uh, because even if somebody tells you they're probably going to be nice about it, you know, <laughs> um, but what I could do is make these impressions and these evocations of how I was experiencing all of the people in my life that I, that mm. I love, even though, uh, my work is kind of sometimes described as spooky, but, um, in my joke about the South is that, uh, People in the South have two emotions, happy and joyful. Mm. And then the rest of it, you kind of keep to yourself. So moving to New York and meeting people from all kinds of different places and cultures, um, I became so fascinated by people who could really wear their emotions. I don't hear happy and enjoy here so much. <laughs> yeah, but well, yeah. we do too. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, right? It's like you can't, probably, even if you have perfect common language, mm you don't understand the other person. Right. You'd imagine you do, but people, everybody's changing every day in a way. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're different every day and also different people mean different things. My uh, grandfather on my dad's side, when he passed away, so many people that were at the wake, everybody had such a different characterization mm. of him because of the role that he played in their life mm. or a coworker or a friend or boss or a grandfather or, you know... His parents were passed away, but he was a child mm. to someone. Um, and all of those different things come with a different weight and a different accessibility. Mm. Um, 
and so I just try to encapsulate like what these people mm. um, mean to me and how I see them in that moment. And so the portraits aren't just to say this is who this person is, which mm. is what strict oil painting felt like to me. It, it seems to want to represent um, a person in their full richness, which right. is kind of impossible. Mm. Um, but through repetition and repainting and repainting mm. um, these people, I can create a moment about our relationship together. Mm. Interesting. Probably your painting is creating the subject's self-image as well. <laughs> so, yeah, this everything's so interactive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's talk about your career as a sake professional. And how did you get into Japanese sake? So uh, my freshman year at Parsons, my first friend, Caroline Taylor's wonderful um, uh, kind of curator and art advisor now, she's from Alabama, so we both had these insane southern accents. <laughs> and then our third friend, Kazuya Shitake, was from uh, Osaka, Japan. Mm. And we were like three musketeers um, and it was like a from, from the dialect too. So. <laughs> yes. And so we're all hanging out together. And at the end of our freshman year, he took us to Sake Bar Decibel, very special place. Mm. Um, and a big Ishobin came out to the table. And I thought, oh, this okay. is Ishobin is uh, 18 milliliters, huge yeah. total, right? <laughs> yeah, 1.8 liters, just really a big boy. And um, it did not leave. It mm. stayed on the table and we drank the whole thing. Uh, and we, got you know marvelously tipsy um and that was my first real experience with sake which was also uh, enjoyed with two people who were immensely important to me and who i love very much and that's kind of been the story of my sake careers mm. drinking sake with people i right. love i highly recommend it mm. <laughs> right oh that's a very important moment mm. so do you remember what label you, you had so um i was trying to think which one we were having, I feel like we were having uh, wakatake, okay. onikoroshi, uh, daiginjo, mm. a little bit of lavender, very just mm. like pretty. But I might have made that up just <laughs> because you didn't remember that sake has followed me through my career, it seems. Oh, um, really? Yeah, it just keeps showing up places. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So it's going to keep leading you to somewhere. Right. Right. Awesome. But you visited uh, the brewery? Um, nope. Yep. I haven't been yet. <laughs> oh, maybe that's the beginning of the conversation. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, um, so the, um, you're, you know, you like the sake, but you cannot just start your career as a sake professional. So right. how did you start it? Um, so all of my whole life has been a, a wonderful accident of uh, being tipsy at the right times with the right people. So, uh, that's the key, right? With the right people. With the right people. So one of my, um, like best friends, some people call her my sake mama, but really, even though we have an age difference, we're just really kind of the same people. So it's Satsuko Watanabe mm. of her bar, Sake Bar Satsuko, mm -hmm. um, which opened the same month that I moved to New York, but it took me four years to meet her. And we met at a mutual friend's party, um, and I started hanging out at the bar, and we were having a lovely time. And then one day, we were drunk at brunch, one of her bartenders didn't show up for work, and she said, I'm old, you do it. So that's how I became a bartender. Wow. Um, and uh, I already knew everything because I'd been drinking there uh, <laughs> for a year at that point. Um, or not everything, but I knew a little bit about everything. Mm. Uh, and that's how I got started. And then through Satsuko, I ended up meeting 
uh, a very like cherished friend of mine and one of my art collectors and he was a sake enthusiast so he would take me out every time we'd uh, hang out we would drink sake together um and i was drinking sake that was much fancier than mm. my kind of 21 year old self was right thank you had the any business business drinking but i got to see a large breadth mm-hmm. of um sake at a really fun integral mm. time in my life and uh so he had a philosophy of drinking sake which is also a fun way to do this when you go out drinking with someone you read the list in the descriptions and you choose the sake that sounds like the person you're with mm. and that's what they have to drink so it's a way to try things you wouldn't normally have and it can either be very flattering and very cute or um kind of you know <laughs> funny and catty you know <laughs> wow that's a very key Advice to any sommelier, right? Yeah. And when you write a wine list or sake list, mm-hmm. you have that personality in the bottle. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that really makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. Right? In your mouth, that's what you eventually you find that personality. Yes. Yeah. So do you uh, write your sake list like that? Um, I have actually never done the descriptions. Okay. Um, at any of the places that I worked. I have my own way of speaking about them mm. uh, while I'm there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think mine would maybe be a little too esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to read that, though. Yeah. Right, so, um, and then so you spent 10 years at Sakeba Satsuko. So uh, what is the concept of Sakeba Satsuko? So Satsuko is a really uh, special place. Before I started working there, every bartender who had ever been there was a musician. Um, just because... She loves music, and those were the people she was meeting and connecting to. And I was the first visual artist, but everyone who works there is a very creative person. Um, and then I just found a deep mm-hmm. love and connection uh, for sake in the community. Um, and so even though I left a number of times, I kept coming back. It's kind of always been my home base. And it's a very special, small-style restaurant. I love small restaurants because... Um, really just kind of rude people can't handle a small restaurant Mm. it's uh too intimate so the customer base the people who came there were all just at the very least nice Mm. and at their best like wholly worldly and interesting and uh, just a real treat to get to know Mm. Mm, i haven't been i have to be there yeah it's very fun and it's a mother and daughter satsuko's daughter amy was born and raised in New York. So her experience of Japanese cuisine and uh, Asian cuisine and cooking it is really influenced by all of the people that she grew up around Mm. here in New York. So it's um, a lot of times people call it very unconventional, which is a nice way of saying wild, like Mm. hot mess. (laughs) Um, But uh, they make the food that they want to eat. Mm. If we don't want to eat it anymore, we don't make it anymore. And um, a really special sake list and uh, usually somewhere in the range of about 50 different mm. styles and varieties um, and it really is very unpretentious you just gotta the rules are just come and be fun mm. so I'm curious though that that kind of um, conventional flavor offers mm-hmm. probably opportunities for you to pair with interesting sake absolutely right. and it's kind of um, a place where it, drinking the food menu has really changed and evolved over the years. Um, and, but 
when it began, it was really at its core, very izakaya. Like the food was there to keep you from getting too drunk, mm. but the star was always the drinking. And um, so I have always been leading with sake first and food second in mm. uh, my career. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, drinking is fun and sake is delicious and mm. you should absolutely have it. But it created a wonderful opportunity uh, to just get people to try new things and really enjoy drinking something in the in the place with mm. the people. I think you said one day uh, uh, you drink irresponsibly, that's your Yeah, <laughs> so that is 100% my philosophy <laughs> for sake is that the thing missing from sake culture in America is that people aren't drinking sake irresponsibly enough. Mm. Um, you should 100% get wild. Right. It's a very lovely drunk. Oh, you see that all the time in Japan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, I think... Um, you should do that at least once. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. And uh, so you, um, what did you learn from the experience at uh, Sakibas? Let's go. Um, oh, what didn't I learn? I don't, so many oh, things. Wow. It was really, um, the customer base there is quite special because either people know nothing about sake or they know way too much. They're so overly engaged. So you really get to nerd out and... Um, really just follow your bliss and talk all of these super technical <laughs> intricacies of the sakes, or you just get to help people get ripped up, you know, and uh, Satsuko is one of the, <laughs> they really celebrate the sake bomb, which is very taboo. Um, <laughs> one of my friends affectionately calls me the sake bomb Sam, um, because I think I'm the only Kikizagishi in New York who likes to do them, but I've never seen uh, in my life uh, actually. Uh, yeah, it's very silly. It's dinner and a show. <laughs> okay, um, but uh, that type of like fun kind of party atmosphere is mm. something that I think is really uh, special and helps people really connect and engage. And I find that people go out and seek sake on their own and they bring it to parties. And mm. um, I had a, a lot of uh, customers who are now like. Um, family to me because we've known each other and I've watched them grow up and go from being a 21 year old who was ready to party to wow. like maybe someone who needs to be in bed by 11 you know and so the, watching people really grow into themselves and change um, was a like a real mm. uh, blessing interesting wow so sounds like this very family kind of like almost mm. not uh Dining establishment, more like family. Uh, yeah, it's a cult for mm. sure. It's just wow. <laughs> once you get hooked, you're mm. you're stuck with it. Okay, so it's uh, listeners Sakebas that's going in East Village. Yes. <laughs> All right. So now you work at uh, Tokyo Record Bar, uh, Nish Nish, and Special Club, mm. all with uh, Ariel Asi. She's fascinating, talented yes. um, beverage professional. Yes. And uh, so first. Could you tell us this concept of Tokyo Record Bar and what sake you serve there? Yeah, so uh, Tokyo Record Bar is a seven-course tasting meal. We have live, uh, not live, um, vinyl records all mm -hmm. around. So if you come for the seven-course tasting, we have a vinyl jukebox with song selections from our collection, and each guest gets to choose one song, and our DJ makes a live curated playlist. Um, so really, the room is directing the music and the vibe mm -hmm. and you get to kind of have this communal dining and listening experience our sake list is about um 18 mm -hmm. to 20 sakes uh, at any given time and uh ariel's twist on it is to give them each a nickname based on a tasting profile mm -hmm. so it's a way of kind of 
helping to explain aroma uh, to guests that maybe are less familiar with sake mm. um, based on her knowledge and experience uh, doing the same thing for champagne. Mm, right. Well, um, for listeners who are not familiar with record bar in, in Japan, it is a Japanese culture, yes. like all classic, like Kisaten, you know, Japanese mm-hmm. cafe. It's just something very cult about having a vinyl on the play yeah. in classic style. So I think you can find some good vinyl, like with juke, jukebox store, yes. like a restaurant or bar in, in Japan, right? And uh, Ariel's always loved music and uh, really music plays a strong role in each of her restaurants. Mm. Um, like Special Club is our newest one that just opened three weeks ago, but that has a live band playing. Mm. Um, and the bands change throughout the week. Uh, but really, dining and speaking and being in, involved intimately with music as a star mm. of the experience, but also not to be um, revered and quieted in front of, to really be interactive and to mm. sing and to dance. and. Right. Uh, mm. to just feel that that joy right. of eating and drinking and music. Mm. I really like the concept of uh, Tokyo Record Bar and um, you know Special Club because it's like building a community. It's maybe something similar to uh, Sake Bar Satsuko, yeah. but there's a communal element and celebrates something, the occasion of it. Yeah, and it's a really um, s- special experience for people, I think, to be able to have a part in the, the evening that they're creating. And then also... There's a big portion of um, the restaurant group that uh, is also letting go of control of the situation. (laughs) We give you something to choose, but most of it you really have no control over. So it's really to put yourself in our hands Mm. and let us make a special evening for you. Mm. Right. Wow. So I, well, honestly, I haven't been <laughs> any of those, but I'm yeah. now really into it. So, um, so that kind of environment, you know, um, the Tokyo Record Bar and uh, Special Club, they're not, I'm going to ask you about Nishi Nishi in a second, but yes. the two places, at least, they're not Japanese food place at all. So how do you, you know, what kind of sake are you offering? Thinking of, you know, different mindset from pairing with Japanese food? And uh, Western style cuisine. Yeah, so Tokyo Record Bar, the food there is um, Japanese inspired, but also has evolved mm. as we've been open. We're about to hit two years being open, and it's really more controlled by the markets in New York. The chefs go shopping every morning at 10. Um, it's really what they cook is what they have for the night. Um, so everything's super fresh and, and really local, but I think that's also kind of a very strong presence and concept Mm -hmm. in Japanese cooking as well. Fresh ingredients and letting the ingredients drive Mm -hmm. your food and presentation. Um, When looking at uh, sake list in general, I try to be mindful to have something for everyone. I always think, which maybe isn't the typical approach, but I always think sake first, like as a standalone and in terms of pairing with food, like there are certain notes there and things that sing together, but I'm more concerned personally with the palate of the individual mm-hmm. and what's going to heighten their experience and what they're going to enjoy most and learn from most um, while they're drinking sake. Because I think with guests who maybe don't have a lot of sake experience, mm. um, that, that first glass to really try to convince someone 
is quite key and important mm. and you want them to have a good memory. Um, I also, uh, a number of years ago had a head injury that, uh, affected my sense of smell. Mm. So I lost, um, my sense of smell for almost three years. Wow. And then, uh, it all came back, which mm. was lovely. But through that, um, and that disparity, I learned to focus a little bit more also on like body weight and texture. Mm. And I think that there's a disconnect when we're talking about beverages and choosing what's going to be best for uh, mm. someone between the weight and the texture and the aroma. Sometimes people generally speaking describe what they want based on aroma, but they're not thinking about all of these other beautiful factors. Mm. So you can really find something surprising uh, and delicious if you can deduce all of those mm. details. Right. Yeah, one thing I, it comes to mind is uh, the mouthfeel and mm. how long it lasts long if it's uh, viscous and it's, it's a big element. Yeah. Right. It's like, uh, reminds me of uh, Grand Cats of Chicago. He yeah. lost his, uh, you know, the palate mm. after the tongue surgery, that kind of thing. So yeah. talented people really make it uh, as a, a springboard to make yeah. it better. Yeah. So... Okay, and uh, so let's talk about uh, Nish Nish. Mm -hmm. So you, that's a, it's a very unique program, right, you have? Yes, and Nish Nish is uh, also that idea of the beverage driving the meal. Um, each night of the week, Monday through Friday, we have a different host from the beverage community who comes. They make four selections for what you're going to drink. Basically, um, they're sommeliers. And uh, yeah, sommeliers, uh, importers, winemakers, um, wine writers, mm. um, sake sommeliers, producers, all of these uh, wonderful things. Um, so we really don't limit who the guests are. They just have to love mm. drinking and do it somewhat professionally. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not even a prerequisite. Uh, actually, they just have to love it and be knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. But um, each night, uh, there's a different host. They make four selections on what to drink, and they give us those at least two weeks in advance. And then based on what they've chosen, the chefs make a four-course dinner to pair with the beverage selections. Mm. So it really is uh, drinking first. Mm. Um, food second and it's kind of a dinner party vibe everyone arrives at the same time you get a little introduction you can learn as much or as little as you want um, we kind of walk around the room and we tell you in detail about what you're drinking but uh, if you don't care you don't have to mm. you can just enjoy yourself <laughs> and if you want to know all the nitty-gritty we will all get very very nerdy with you mm. as well what's fascinating to me is that you know that's kind of wine and sake tend to be viewed as competitors but mm. now um, you know, sake and wine will started to be more kind of merged into each other because mm. of, I think, a lot of sommeliers are more into learning about sake. Yes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then you have the same stage, right? Mm. To work with sommeliers and wines and... Yes. And uh, certain hosts have mixed and matched. So we've tried to do um, one to two sake dinners um, at niche niche per month, but some people have mixed the two together, mm. um, to give different coursings. Um, and I was lucky enough to get to do a sake parent dinner there as well. Mm. Um, which was quite fun and very special. Um, especially for the guests who 
were not aware it was going to be a sake evening. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's funny. All right. Okay. Well, let's um, uh, let's talk about. Let's, let me ask you first. I want to talk about uh, dinner. Um, but uh, you know that the special club is a music club, and you know that's not something like you'd expect sake, right? Yes. But you decided to put it there. So I just want to see how people react to sake in yes. a kind of unusual, unexpected space? Um, well, we're... Number one, we, as a restaurant group, just myself and Jessica Jolie, uh, Misake Yose, it, sheer, um, we both love sake so much. Mm. So it seemed remiss not to include it. Right. Um, and also, Special Club is named after the Special Club Champagnes, really beautiful uh, vintages. Um, so... We have a number of those on the list, and for our sake selections, we tried to pick very uh, interesting, leaning style sake, something that you might not have somewhere else or that maybe um, might be a little out there for mm. someone's everyday uh, sake list. So uh, we have a really beautiful Kamazumi from 1997. So 22-year-aged, um, really gives some beautiful whiskey tone. Mm. We serve that upper on the rocks. Um, we have... Uh, kind of a highball cocktail but made with Nambubijin's all koji mm. um has a very beautiful present flavor um yuzo kuji's yuzo special he's the younger brother from Nambubijin, and uh that one is one of my personal favorites right now it's like if mugicha was alcoholic it's just so <laughs> special and savory and um well can i ask you that so um that, the two questions. So mm. one is a 22-year-old yes. super koshu, right? Old, yes. Okay, so how, how does it happen? It's like people over three years, it's called koshu, right? Yes. And 22 years. So Yeah, it, it was my first time seeing it once it showed up on uh, the list there. But it's just surprisingly delicate mm. and balanced. And uh, you don't get as much of the viscosity and weight mm. um, that you might expect from a 22-year-aged koshu, mm. um, but really beautiful, developed amber color. And for someone who's maybe looking for a whiskey or a bourbon, mm. um, which we don't offer uh, dis distilled spirits at right. any of our restaurants, um, they can really have a very surprising engagement mm. and get some of those deep, earthy, nuttier tones right. um, from these beautiful Interesting. aged koshus. Wow. Which uh, brewery made it? That one is by Kamazumi. Okay. Mm. Mm, Kamazumi. I'm a mm. big fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're fabulous. <laughs> I visited their <laughs> place oh. too. Um, and uh, so you said all koji. So what do you mean by that? By so Nambubijin's uh, all koji is a sake, but made completely with the koji mai, the koji inoculated mm -hmm. uh, rice. And they call so it all koji. There are, there are two types of uh, uh, rice mm. used in sake. And the one is a steamed mushimai. And the kakemai and the, the, the kojimai, there's like, the, so that means like it's much sweeter. Yes. Rice, right? Because it's Because not the starch is being broken down into the sugar right. uh, by the koji. And they also um, sometimes have a little bit sweet, but also kind of a chestnut tone and mm. really some uh, beautiful flavor. So it's called all koji because you can't legally call it sake if it's all kojima uh interesting yeah <laughs> ah, wow there's um chizuko Ninawa hilton was uh telling me she was visiting a brewery who was making mm. a sake 99 percent kojima 
they put one grain of steamed rice in it. And she was like, why one grain? But that's because for the legality to call it sake, they have to have one, at least one grain of steamed rice. Mm. It's very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I really want to try this. I've been just talking about koji for the last, I don't know how many episodes, but yeah, yeah, I know the power. So very Mm -hmm. interesting. Right. And uh, so, um, so how do you, what is the philosophy of um, selecting and serving sake? Like, you know, do you have any, anything in your mind? Regardless of where you are? Uh, I always want there to be something for everyone uh, on my list. And by everyone, I mean whatever their go-to spirit is. When I'm meeting customers for the first time, I generally say, what do you like to drink in life booze-wise? Because you can ask someone what they want, but uh, we all get confused with words. Uh, The word dry needs to just be buried it's mm. it really means nothing now <laughs> everyone says it um and so there's no universal tone for that but if i can get a sense of what people typically are drinking mm. then i can make a deduction based on what type of like body weight um flavor profile what they're open to mm. in terms of richer bolder flavors or if they want something more delicate and dialed in um so i always approach in that way and i i think to give someone a note uh especially about a sake of how, what terms they can think of it mm. in um, based on beverages they might have had more frequently. Um, that's a really nice way to open their mind to the flavors and textures they're experiencing mm. um, and then also get them to retain a little bit of the information. Mm. So it sounds like you open up somebody's interest rather than educate, try to yeah. teach them. <laughs> I try to teach them very sneakily. Mm. <laughs> That works usually. You learn, but you don't know you're learning. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I wish my, all my teachers are like that. <laughs> okay, so now let's take a quick break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, challenges and solutions in serving and educating sake for uh, Austin. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent, member-supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on Heritage Radio Network is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fund drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs, broadcasting live from the studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Taima, and my guest today is Austin Power, who has been in the sake industry for the last 15 years at Sake Sommelier and Kikizakeshi. And Austin currently works at Tokyo Record Bar in Greenwich Village, Nishinish, and a special club, both in Soho, all very popular spots in New York. So, um, so I asked you about the philosophy, but what's your biggest challenge in offering sake? Um, 
for me, uh, and this comes back a little bit to my idea that we should be drinking sake more irresponsibly. The number one thing I hear from guests, um, no matter their sake experiences, I really don't know that much about (laughs) sake. Okay. I know a ton. You're in luck. You came to the right place, right? Um, But I I think that uh, we spend so much time and energy um, educating that uh, we've created a very unique issue where the boundary becomes in people's heads. Like, oh, I I don't know enough about this to appreciate Mm -hmm. what I'm drinking. And so my response to that is, well, uh, you know, the the most important thing about drinking sake is to get it in your mouth. Mm. You know, it's just, just drink it, have a good time. Um, and when we're looking at other beverages, uh, you really don't see that issue with liquors or, um, you know, wine. Sometimes maybe people feel that way, but typically speaking, you just drink. You Mm. don't have to ask the question, Mm. how much do you know? about most alcohol you drink. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't true. stop you from enjoying it. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Before I started this show, <laughs> I, didn't know, I don't think I much too much about sake. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, well, so usually, though, um, if you don't know anything about anything, mm-hmm. it's you, you reluctant, right? So what is, yeah. what the hell is this? Yeah. So how do you make that kind of push to... When I'm getting people ready uh, to drink sake, maybe for the first time, um, the number one thing is I just, I'm a big fan of bullying. I really will try to drive them away from another choice (laughs) and bring them to somewhere in sake that's going, that I know they're going to enjoy based Mm. on what they've told me they like. Um, I'll I'll get them to taste something and say, you know, if you don't like it, feel free to... splash it in my face. It's fine, you know, and just really lighten the mood and get them, um, engaged to try something new and have a, have a good experience. Um, and then after that, it is a little bit about sneaking education and explaining to them what sake is. I think a lot of people misunderstand. They think sake is distilled or that it's at a higher alcohol point Mm. than it actually sits at. Um, and so I try to dispel those things for them. Mm. Right. Um, well, I don't know what's the proportion of, um, people who don't know much about sake, but do you think it's like the majority, even in New York city? I think that, um, I think people have had an experience with sake. We have like two problems that I run into. Um, my favorite customer is the person who says, I don't, I I just, I don't really like sake. Mm. (laughs) So I say, uh, when was the last time you had it? Was it free? Were you in a mall? Was like, what, who hurt you? Like, why, why do you have this bad feeling about sake? What, what did it do to you? Um, and so maybe they just had something that was confusing or was pleasing or just it wasn't connected to their mm. palate and what they enjoy. And to show them that there's such a vast array of uh, flavors and profiles and experiences you can have in sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually people loosen up a little bit by that right. one. Just it's, forget about the horror stories. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one thing as professionals that we really need to lean into is create trust with our consumer base mm. um, so that they will have faith in you and believe in you to take them somewhere that uh, they maybe weren't 
mm. sure they were ready to go. Mm. So um, as a psychic professional, how do you think um, you can reshape the way people think about the psyche or the lack thereof? Right. <laughs> I, um, I think, you know, the number one thing that's led me through sake has been drinking it in places I enjoy and with people I enjoy. So, um, you know, that's kind of a tall ask, but, uh, if we can create fun environments, if we can create engaging spaces, uh, for people to experience it and to drink it and then to leave with a good memory Mm. that goes a long way in wanting to repeat Mm. something or to make it a part of your life. And, um, I get, I've noticed a trend, um, with customers that don't know about sake, but, uh, they want to learn because they're going to be traveling to Japan for the first time. Mm. So I think tourism is a really powerful tool as well because they want to get something under their belt or to have a little bit more understanding, Mm. um, before they embark on that adventure. And then once they can go and see, I'd always, I, I would highly recommend that people visit, uh, you know, just a brewery, go see Mm. how sake is made because it's really such a beautiful, intense process. And once you kind of see the moving parts, you really understand the labor of love that it is, Mm. uh, and, and can kind of understand also what it is that you're tasting, what is making, Mm. um, this thing. And, you know, if you're in New York, go to Brooklyn Corral go Mm. to industry city and you can see their Koji room through the glass and you can see the tanks and have that experience. But if you are traveling to Japan, go visit the breweries Mm. and see the places. They're so special. Right. And even if they don't have time to do that, um, you know, Izakaya, a lot of Izakayas, their sake sommelier is a super passionate and confident and proud of. All just waiting to tell you all of the nerdy stuff we know. <laughs> it's just, it's really the highlight of mm, our day. So right. just ask. You know. <laughs> right. And then when I, they come back, though, mm-hmm. they become a kind of more curious about sake, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And bring more friends to have those experiences. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, why, why Sake Barasatsuko is such a powerful tool, mm. I think, creating spaces like that where people want to come back or have birthday parties or, and you see the friends who are confused. Where's my <laughs> vodka soda, you know? Um, but that's really the, the fun challenge is to get them on board. Right. <laughs> okay. So the speaking of fun, so I want to hear about, you know, the dinner you, you mentioned earlier. So that niche niche you, you did uh, some fun memory producing special dinner. Yes. So on the night that I got to host, um, at, Niche Niche, I chose four sakes. And my thing was my theme was sakes to be drunk in summer situations, mm. which is both to be drunk as in drinking, but also to be drunk as in wasted. Uh, <laughs> and the four that I offered that evening um, were Kirinzan Classic, which is a lovely futsushu. It's uh, one of the first futsushu common sake to come mm. um, onto the market here yeah, in New so York. Yeah, so can you explain quickly what's futsushu versus... Right, so we sushi. are normally thinking about uh, the premium grades of sake, so hanjozo, junmai, junmai ginjo, ginjo, daiginjo, junmai daiginjo. Uh, futsushu is sake that does not meet those milling ratio, those specifications. Mm. So um, sometimes called table sake, uh, but essentially it just lives outside of the premium zone. Mm. Um, but Kirinzan Classic is 
gorgeous. It's uh, so light. It's uh, the perfect sake to be drunk at the beach. Right. Um, I heard sometimes, uh, even if it's a seishu, like the premium class, mm-hmm. some brewers prefer it to be called as tushu. I don't know what to be enjoyed mm-hmm. more casually or yeah. something like that, right? I think maybe so, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so that's Kirinzan Futsushu. Yes, mm. so Kirinzan Futsushu to get started, the classic. Um, the second that I served, uh, I just lost all of my words. Um, I think it's that you told me the Kozaiman yes. Junmai. Yeah, Kozaiman yeah. Junmai 65. Uh, really gorgeous Junmai, a little bit of weight, uh, nice bit of citrus. That one for me is like a martini with a twist. Mm. Uh, it's very classic. It's got a nice, strong bite to it. Um, but it has a very distinct profile, but it's perfect for someone who really likes those more direct flavors. And that one was, uh, sake to be drunk on a boat, because mm. uh, it gives you all of those fancy, rich martini feelings, but <laughs> you won't get so tipsy that you fall overboard. And then the third I served was Yuzukuji's Yuzo Special that we spoke about earlier, because it's, um, just so lovely and really directly feels like it was made for me to drink it's Mm. so uh savory which we don't often think about savory beverages but uh it's beautiful and i served that alongside um some southern barbecue uh, Mm. which is calling back to what i grew up eating uh and to also give people sake against some cuisine that they wouldn't normally be Mm. uh, drinking it with and then we ended with uh, kikasui's funaguchi did a gold can which is uh, like a wonderful boozy flower bomb and um, comes in a little one cup style. So that was sake to be drunk anywhere you shouldn't be. Mm. So <laughs> nice to sneak yeah. sneak it in your bag or Wait. drink okay, it on the Can you explain train. about you know, the culture of a one cup? Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about the culture of one cup. I just, uh, I heard from one of my friends the first time I saw one. Mm. And it was like, oh, that's for grandpas. Like yeah. that's, that's what they drink on the porch. Uh, or uh, like yeah. you know like in Japan it's so open to drink sake you know yeah. space so I, I remember like old man you know a little you know long distance train to have a sake cup somewhere yeah. out of pocket and drinking and sipping like oh my god that, that. <laughs> but now I think that's a, there's a huge market of yeah. cup sake it's a premium cup sake as well oh yes and there's uh, yeah there's really a lot of cup sake which is a lovely way to travel or take it with you or picnic mm. or I, I had this kiksui Naguchi Namagenshu, and it was mm. so good. Oh, it's fabulous! Yeah. yeah. So, but well, so that that sounds like very memorable yeah. <laughs> dinner. It it was great. People had a really lovely time. I had one table who said to me, "What what do we do um, if we don't like sake?" And I said, "Oh, well, you're free to get over it." <laughs> and they said, "Can you say that?" I was like, "I don't know," but I did. I'll go check. <laughs> I, you know, but. They, they really gave it a try. And by the end, they had a really lovely time and said, you know, like, I, in no way is this what I thought I was doing this evening. But it really made for a special experience for them. Well, I, I remember. I'll just, yeah. say, just get over it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. It sounds like a very successful dinner. Mm. So, okay. And uh, so is there anything in common between creating an art and educating about sake or anything about sake and art? So, um, because I've been working with watercolor for so long and really like looking into 
hand-making paper, and there's a lot of tradition associated with labeling sake, which is going to be calligraphy and mm. handmade paper and all of these labels. And uh, water is so important to making sake. So I really, it's a life goal of mine to find a way to get all of these people in these industries where water is so integral mm-hmm. um, and to get them to investigate each other and really see the connection there because the labors are very similar or interconnected. Mm. Um, and I think that's just a very easy target group mm, to right. get these artists uh, obsessed with sake <laughs> and the passion and the craft behind it mm. um, as well. Well, you having said that, do you have any suggestions for sake producers who wants to come to the American market or anywhere overseas? Because that's crucial for them. I... I don't <laughs> maybe I, I um it's such a hard thing to think about all of the moving parts and how people associate i know that there's a generally speaking in wine shops as well you know labeling is so important to have mm. something uh unique and eye-catching um but i was contracted to try to help make a wine label one mm. time and it's an incredibly difficult journey <laughs> oh. to make something um, that really serves all of the purpose you're you're asking it to make. So I just am in awe, and you know I say thank you to anyone who's <laughs> taken on that job and um, really made these bottlings possible. Mm. Uh, but I think it's just. The best thing you can do is to be strong in your resolve and your idea of what makes this unique and what makes this, you know, interesting and why why is it important that someone mm-hmm. drink this? Uh, because I think with any creative endeavor, um, you get into the trap of trying to please everyone, mm. and it never works. Right, and especially like it, well, anything in going to mouth is very personal. So. Right. If it's up to the memories you have. Uh, yes. And I think, you know, what's great about how um, kind of the sake community and the industry is changing in New York is that we're having more and more opportunity. We're seeing more unique uh, things being imported. Um, and so we can really expand mm. our palettes and our point of views and what, what the guest can have. But I would say my advice would be more towards... Uh, the restaurants feel free to bully your customers mm. into trying something great. You mm. know, if you have something on there as a default or to placate, take it off. Mm. Don't give people the option for something easy. Mm. Always be interesting. Right. Well, based on my experience <laughs> with wine, mm. when I'm pushed extra, yeah. I'm like, wow, thank you for that. Yeah. It's 100%, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I agree completely. Yeah, yeah second that. All right. So what is your plan? Um, So I have a bunch of wheels turning. Um, I'm trying to get more. uh, I'm trying to revive some of my art practice because I really stepped away um, to further my sake education. Mm. Uh, And now that I'm in a better place with that, um, I'm trying to get back to creating more creative content. Um, I make silly shirts 
because I think clothing is such an interesting way to interact with others and also to invite the conversations that you want to have. Mm. Um, and so to really just wear something loud and silly also as a service point is a good way to just let people know that they're in for something wild, that this is okay. Mm. It's okay to have fun, um, and to taste. And then, uh, hopefully, um, I'll be going back to Japan sometime soon. Um, mm. I was just married. Ooh, <laughs> and so, uh, my husband's from, uh, Kyoto originally. Oh, wow. And so hopefully we'll get to go together. Um, mm. and, really experienced he's taken his uh, socket visor and kind of bullying him into getting further into uh, the socket community and so hopefully we can go mm. experience and you picked the right husband because it's Kyoto is <laughs> yeah. really one of the mega usake yeah oh wow awesome it's such a beautiful place right um, so I'm just looking forward to learning more and meeting more people and mm. making more silly things yeah well it sounds like your keyword in your whole life is a conversation mm. with people and culture yeah so I I love that <laughs> so okay so where can we find your updates online so on Instagram I am with a power uh, because everything Austin Power was taken. <laughs> but uh, in this past year, I was lucky enough to finally get my website. So austinpower.com is where you can find me. Um, Beautiful artwork, too. <laughs> thank you. And uh, yeah, and otherwise, uh, Tokyo Record Bar, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, after 10.30, we have a late night, which is a little bit easier to get into because the reservations are quite hard to come by. Um, but you can come in and have a drink with me and talk mm. sake. Right. Drink with you responsibly. Yes, drink right. with me irresponsibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so thank you for joining us today, Austin. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so please, Miko, keep me posted. I and then maybe I can do, like, when you come back from Japan, you know, you can join me again and talk about the experience. Absolutely. Right. All right, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritagevideonetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineer is Amanda, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.